welcome to another episode of Footnotes. We all have experienced this in that everything that we buy, everything that we use, everything that uh, we need basically for our life had, had to arrive on a truck. Today, we're talking to Alex Abrashkin and Aaron Curtis of Motor Supply, a company that started here in town a few years ago uh, that's trying to just do trucking a different way. But we also get into an, uh, other topics about how do you overcome doubt? Um, how do you remind yourself about wins you've had in the past so that you can do the hard things now? It's just a great conversation that goes in a lot of different directions, but I hope, I think there's a lot to learn for a lot of people that will watch this. Stay tuned. Well, thanks for uh, joining us here on Footnotes. We have uh, Alex Abrashkin and Aaron Curtis from Motor Supply. And uh, it's not just a restaurant uh, here in, in Columbia, but um, you guys are in the transportation business. And, you know, when you think about transportation, I mean, everything in, in where we're shooting, the, the chairs we're sitting on, the food that we ate this morning, came, had to be transported at some point, you know, and it's just interesting to, to meet people that are in that business that we don't even really think about, but clearly it's your, it's your job and your livelihood. Um, and so if, if, we, if we start where all the experts and gurus tell us to start, to start with why, why start a transportation company? You know, I, th I don't think it was a conscious choice uh, at a time. Uh, I was on a little sabbatical and uh, ran into a couple of uh, very good friends, ironically former ballet dancers, and uh, we had a couple of beers at uh, a local bar, Goats. Um, and, you know, we started talking to them. We haven't seen each other in a long time. And uh, they told me they transitioned from dancing because you can't, you know, pursue this career forever. They bought a mm -hmm. truck and had to rediscover themselves, find a second profession, you know, later in life. And um, they bought an 18-wheeler and now they're moving the goods around the country. And I got so excited about this. I just watched some documentary about that. And I was like, <laughs> guys, take me on the road with you. And they're like, of course, let's do this. So I called them the next morning and I'm like, when are we going? They're like, well, you were kidding, right? Like, you don't know what you're signing up for. You know, it's a week in a truck, like, you know, bad food. You're not gonna get uh, showers every day. And, you know, it's pretty rough. I was like, I'm in, I wanted an adventure. So I jumped with them in the truck and uh, we toured the country for a week. And, you know, there's not much stuff to do in the truck. After a couple of days, I got bored. It's like watching a documentary, but it's a week long documentary. <laughs> yeah. It's like a Ken Burns documentary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's sort, of, sort of long. Yes. I had to entertain myself somehow and I started taking notes and uh, writing everything down, you know, cost of fuel, you know, asking silly questions. And at the end of the week, I had a spreadsheet and I was like, this is a very interesting business. And it just happened uh, at that period of my life. Um, at that period in my life, I was uh, between the projects. It was I was on a little sabbatical, literally doing nothing, cleaning the palette, you know, and uh, looking for a new exciting project to jump into. And never ever did I think uh, that this will be a trucking company, to be honest with you. And um, once I did the math, I said, hey guys, this is a profitable business. Why don't we uh, join the efforts and uh, start a trucking company on a much bigger scale together. And unfortunately that deal didn't go through. But at that time I already spent so much time doing research. I knew the numbers were too good to be true almost. And uh, we decided to start our own company. So when you were when you were on that ride along and you were you were tracking that information, I mean what made you track things? Was it just to 
pass the time and to kill the boredom. And then what, what were you learning as you were tracking? You see, I'm, uh, uh, my background is uh, computer science. I'm a USC grad, master's in computer science. So mm-hmm. when you tell your friends about that, they think you're the guy to call when their you know, Windows PC is broken. But <laughs> that's not what they teach us. They uh, actually teach us algorithms and efficiency and how to make things uh, uh, work faster. So it's kind of an X-ray vision that you uh, acquire uh, through uh, this, you know, uh, degree, and you start seeing the world in, in those terms. So when I started observing, I started asking, you know, what is the cost of fuel? How do you buy cheaper fuel? What, what are the cost of tires? You know, what is the cost of tires? How do you buy cheaper tires? And, uh, you know, all of that. So it was very interesting. Plus, as I said, there was literally nothing else to do in the truck. So. I was just absorbing all the material, trying to make sense of it. And in the end, I saw that if you put money in, you know, how much does it cost to uh, set one truck on the road, all costs included, you know, safety nets. It still produced, and I saw the revenue coming in that week, and I saw how much money they made and what the expenses were. And it seemed like a very lucrative business opportunity, contingent on you knowing the game, you know? Mm. I love the way you put it where you came in as a novice. You, you did not know anything and you asked a lot of questions about the, the everyday ordinary things and you began to, to just soak in that knowledge. But then there's the game, you know, there's the industry, there's everything that goes on and the, the customs and the who's who and the what's what. You know, Aaron, you're, you're new, relatively new in this business and you're the chief operating officer. I mean, how, how do you take the things that you're learning about while the industry is happening in real time, how do you take those things and, and sort of drive the business from there? I think what I what I appreciate appreciate about Alex and and motor supply and his approach uh, is yes, there's an industry that exists already, existed for decades, uh, and there's a way of doing things. Uh, but the reason that, that Alex has found a lot of success in a short period of time with motor supply uh, is his willingness to ask why this way, <laughs> why this approach, mm-hmm. uh, as a novice, uh, which is a similar story of which I'm coming into the company uh, without a, you know a deep trucking background, but a heavy operations and logistic background, but also with my own um, a sort of depth of experience and jumping into industries and fields and projects of which I'm sort of out of my depth, don't know much about it, and having to catch up uh, and perform and execute in real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what motor supply is doing and what it's done. Uh, that's what's appealing and interesting to me uh, is that uh, willingness uh, to be a little bit humble, to ask the questions, to be bold and try something new in a different way. It's like, why are we doing this way? We could do it this way. It seems more efficient, um, uh, which leads to innovation. Uh, it's just a much bigger, more interesting challenge uh, and yes, it can feel big and overwhelming, like you have no real part in it. Um, but I found that if you put your head down and you're smart and you ask the right questions and you keep moving, uh, you you take your wins, you accept your losses, uh, that that over time, keep applying it can really refine something that works and surprises. So, you know, uh, to add to what Erin uh, just said, I'm a little jealous because she's joining the party just now and she's uh, yet to ask all these questions and she has a completely fresh perspective. And this was pretty much part of the job description. We needed a fresh blood 
that can uh, now see we're already stuck uh, in certain ways of how we conduct our business. So our first assignment will literally be just watching how we do things and questioning us now in turn. Mm -hmm. But you know, when it all started, I remember the very first question that I had to ask Google was literally, how do you start a trucking company? <laughs> I stared at that screen for several days. I, I couldn't get anywhere. I mean, obviously it gives you uh, uh, hmm. a treasure trove of information, hmm. but it's so, it's so uh, nobody tells you what is the actual first step, you hmm. know? And I remember uh, uh, those days we decided we we're gonna do this, literally clean slate. I was as far from trucking as any of you guys are in this room knew nothing about it, which was exciting and challenging at the same time. And then I started talking to people, you know, uh, 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 you go to fix your computer, ask the guy, pretty much any person you, I met, I asked, do you know someone in trucking? And surprisingly, somebody knew someone, you know, somebody's roommate's cousin's sister had a friend who was a trucker 15 years ago. Go talk to that person. I, for a few months, I did just two things. I jumped from one trucker friend's cabin to another, and I spent three months on the road, just hopping between different trucks, learning how the business works on the inside. One week was great, but you know, you wanted to compare the notes. Different trucking companies do things different way, and was a lot more wise how people do things. That was so interesting to do. And then the other thing I did was, literally every person I met, hello, you know, introduce yourself and then completely unrelated, do you know someone in the trucking industry? And everybody knew someone. And I just spent weeks and weeks just traveling around Colombia, 150 mile radius, you know, buying people lunches and talking to them and uh, absorbing that knowledge. And I don't remember who that was, but somebody very smart gave me a very great advice. They said, well, if you don't know how to start a trucking company, um, why don't you go and talk to South Carolina Trucking Association? And I was like, why didn't I think of that? That is like the most right, obvious right. first step. <laughs> and guess what? I drove past their office on Divine Street like 15,000 times in 10 years, like three times a day, four times a day, never noticed the building, you know? And uh, you can, you'd be surprised, uh, I mean, uh, it was quite an experience, me knocking on the door of a trucking association, asking them, hey, uh, I have a question. How do I start a trucking company? And I'm pretty sure they made a, 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 an enormous effort not to laugh in my face, because like, typically you, you come to them a little more prepared, but that was literally my first yeah. step. And that's how it all started. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's something that, uh, that Alex and I share, um, which is why I, I think we're optimistic about this partnership working very well, is, uh, is a sincere joy of learning something hmm. new mm -hmm. and uh, not being afraid of it and the desire to spend time really like digging into something and figuring it out. And that's part of the joy of the journey uh, is learning the thing. How do you, I mean, for, for both of you, because this is this is intriguing, I can imagine that, you know, someone's listening to this and, and they're thinking, okay, you know, you got two people that just seem like they just started something, but like, is it really that easy? You know, how did they support themselves when there was nothing going on? And, you know, all these kind of things that I think st sort of stop people from maybe pursuing or, or doing, but when you, when you are a novice, when you, when you are new, I mean, how do you look past those risks of, oh my gosh, this may not work out, or I, I don't even know the questions to really ask. I'm starting with Google, you know, which 
is fun to think about now, but I mean, how many people are out there that that's really where their start is, is they're starting with Google. How have you guys looked past those risks or the doubts or the quote unquote uncertainties to just keep pushing forward? Like what, get us behind that a little bit. Because I think that's where a lot of people are. Yeah. You know, I think uh, when you start a business, you can take uh, a couple of different approaches. You can try to come up with uh, a very unique idea that's like very niche, you know, almost like a secret and work on it and then present it to the world. The uh, sad reality is most people uh, have to always, in that space, have to question, you know, if they have something crazy good or are they just crazy, you know, because most of those ideas, they never work. I think um, uh, uh, the first day on this job, uh, previous experiences really helped and uh, I already knew one thing. You have to start making revenue fast. In fact, I would never even consider a project that would not have a revenue on a three-month horizon. Like, you don't have a year to, I mean, think about what just happened in the world in the past two years, you know, mm -hmm. COVID, TikTok. We didn't know these words two years ago. So now everything is moving at such a high pace. You have to be super efficient at what you do. So I had no illusion this is going to be a very, very uh, steep learning curve. But also you have to know the basics. So before doing any of that, I use my sabbatical, as I said, just for research, meeting people, talking to people, and literally spending weeks in the in the back of uh, of a uh, 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 you know a tractor. Uh, somebody's driving. I couldn't drive. I could just watch and ask questions. And by the time my three month research was uh, over, I felt fairly confident. I knew all the ins and outs, and I most importantly saw where the money is and what to do with that. And then. Um, so we talked about, you know, businesses that have unique ideas and, you know, they work on them and, you know, then they present them to the world and hopefully start making money. But there is a, another way to start a business. You can literally point in any direction and there'll be a pizza place, there'll be a tire shop. And uh, these are businesses that existed for decades and decades. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you can go and, you know, just do what they do, but better. And uh, when you join a trucking industry with uh, literally 928,000 other uh, for hire carriers, you know, almost a million other trucking companies, 3 million trucks on the road, a huge industry that uh, moves 72% uh, of the entire freight in the country, you better learn fast because mm -hmm. you are entering highway at a highway speed and those trucks are not stopping. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't have the ability to make decisions fast, be agile and um, keep up with the pace, you will be uh, you know, out of business before you know it, somewhere in a ditch. So that that was uh, that was the realistic expectation, I guess, that came from uh, past experiences uh, that I had to really be prepared for. Aaron, I mean, how do you look past sort of a lack of direct experience in an industry and look past sort of a lack of you know maybe maybe knowledge, mm. yet drawing on what you've already done? How do you how do you do that? Similar to Alex, it's experience over time. I think if you'd asked me this question, you know, at 20, 21, 22, I wouldn't have an answer. It's like I probably wouldn't take the risk and I wouldn't do the thing. Uh, for me, early in my career, uh, I sort of fell into a pattern where I was routinely um, given the keys 
to the kingdom, if you will, like to the car, to the to the Corvette, and and ask not to wreck it with. And I didn't have a driver's license. Like this, just really um, feeling out of my depth and and out of my element um, for things that involved a lot of pressure, were high profile, had big budgets, uh, etc. And those were stressful and challenging times. And, you know, I failed a lot and it wasn't easy uh, that I couldn't look past the risk. Mm -hmm. I stayed up worrying about the risk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) certainly. Uh, But over the course of my professional career so far, what I've turned a corner in doing is realizing that each time, like, I made it, hmm. like, the thing succeeded, like, it happened. Uh, you, you can push through. Uh, and you have the, you know, I had the ability to, to do that uh, and to manage, to learn fast, uh, to temper the risk enough to keep going and to keep my head about me. Uh, and, you know, an incredible amount of, I think, determination uh, built into that. And, and again, a genuine a bit of curiosity and, and just the learning process itself. Uh, so over the last couple of years, uh, I really leaned into that, you know, and I think about jumping into something where there's an element of risk and there's an, an, an unknown. I can look back in my career and say, I've done this before mm-hmm. and it's been fine. Because 90 90%, some great advice I got a couple of years ago uh, from a mentor is like 90% of the things that you worry about in life or in your work never happen. And, hmm. You know, it's, it's the, the 10% that you never see coming, you know, that you really have to have to worry about. And then how do you even prepare for that? Because it's, it's 10%. And that's proven true. Like there, I think 90% of the things that I, that kept me up at night when I was tackling something new, uh, that risk was involved as a challenge, never ended up manifesting. Hmm. And those are the kind of essentially data points and experiences I can look back and rely on now when I make the next decision of like, there's risk here, there are unknowns, who knows how it's gonna work out, who knows I'm gonna enjoy it, but there's a record now. And I just rely on the record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's brought a tremendous amount, I think, ease uh, and a lot more joy into my work hmm. because I'm spending more time just believing that it can be done and that I can do it in less time shrinking in front of it. Yeah. So that record, I mean, is that, does it live in your mind? Do you record things outside of it? I mean, how do you, how do you maintain that, that record that you can kind of go back and draw from? That's been an evolution. Uh, I I have an immense amount of imposter syndrome and insecurity, I think, like most people carry. So it's, uh, you know, o- over time, you, you'll have people speak into that experience and remind you of mm-hmm. what's happened and help give you confidence. I think over time, I've also learned that it's, it is important to keep record and actually write things down uh, and note things. Uh, so that's become, you know, part of the process uh, in, in combination. Uh, but I, I would say it, it, a lot of it is that. A lot of it is surrounding myself with, thankfully, you know, the right people who are encouraging and sort of remind you about what you've done and what you can do. Uh, and then it sort of becomes a bit habit forming to think about it. And mm-hmm. then it's it's like, oh yes, I should actually note this. Like hmm. 
this is something that happened, it occurred, this is the data to like back it up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it exists both. Like for me, it exists both um, mentally, uh, it exists in conversations, uh, and it exists on paper in various capacities. Yeah, that's interesting. I've heard, I've heard similar from other people that, you know, what started out was, well, I just remembered things, but then as they gained experience and had more birthdays, they, they found that, you know, I kind of need to record this somewhere, you know? Yeah. And people have a notebook or Evernote, or literally there's there's a thousand ways to, to record it, but I'm, I hear more and more that people who are, or who are gathering experience, wherever they're gathering it, and using that to inspire or fuel or or help the next thing. I mean, they literally have to kind of go back and- It's your own ability to give yourself a pep talk. Yeah. When you need it the most. And I need a lot of pep talks, <laughs> very much so. Okay. Uh, a kudos folder was the, uh, the first time in my career that I was instructed to keep huh. actual record. Is I had a manager who was like, you should put that email in your kudos folder. And I was like, what is a kudos folder? Uh -huh. <laughs> And of, of course it was like- Am whenever... I allowed to celebrate my own success? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and actually this purpose of the kudos folder uh, as articulated was that whenever my annual review came up, like I had, you know, a record of like what I had done and any kind sure. of negotiation that was to transpire. Sure. Uh, which people I think are historically poor at doing for themselves, but women in particular. Uh, but the kudos folder was the very first start of any sort of switching over to keeping something that was written down. And you know, Erin is very humble about her experiences. Like, you know, she uh, she doesn't really like talking about herself. So I would like to add a few words. So Please. here we have this uh, fast growing trucking company that started like literally with one truck, propelled to like 10 trucks. Now we've grown to 20, 50. The revenue is going from $100,000, you know, in six months, next year, 650. This year, two and a half million. Next year, the goal is 10. So somebody has to make sense of all this growth. You know, all successful companies, they have a growth person that at some point joins, you know, Google had Eric Schmidt and, you know, other, they call them adults in charge. You know, mm -hmm. somebody's going and plowing through and disrupting things. Somebody has to make sure the foundation works. And very soon, um, uh, me and my partner and both international transplants here in Colombia, uh, we uh, realized we need a growth person, somebody who can, uh, do that job and uh, you know Erin was uh, an immediate person who came to mind for several reasons first of all she is a, a hardcore Colombian native she loves this city uh, some of you may know Erin uh, some of them some of you may know what Erin did for the city uh, she's uh, a majority uh, blood and sweat behind huge projects like uh, uh, Soda City Market every Saturday mm -hmm. 5,000 people, imagine handling that crowd. Talking uh, I've about seen volume. her with the walkie-talkie. Yeah, mean, yeah. She, she walks with walkie-talkie and has a lot of- when she yeah. gives instructions? Walkie-talkie and a clipboard, we'll get you in a lot of doors, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then, so she loves the city. She also uh, did a lot for bridge dinner. You know, the lady who can uh, shut down one of the major uh, streets in the city for the whole day, that's, that's big. Then- um, Both added a lot of gray hair on my head, I'll say. <laughs> But uh, internationally curious, spent two years in Peace Corps in Kazakhstan, my home country, in a place where I wouldn't last two years in my own country, speaks better Kazakh than I do. So literally speaks better language, the, my language better than I do, has international perspective than uh, State Department, right? All kinds of international uh, 
uh, perspective again. And then uh, Groco, uh, your uh, most immediate uh, uh, gig, uh, you know, tapped into the business community, all things entrepreneurial. So you mix all those experiences in one big pot and you have your growth person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. You have your adult in the room. Adult in the room. Which I think yeah. is, a, yeah, that's a great, that's a great line. I think that's, that's how it is. But it also, it's important because because it frees Alex to do what he does best, right? And like any sort of business partnership, it is a lot like a marriage, right? Yes. Uh, and people bring different personalities, uh, different tendencies, different skill sets uh, to the table, and you want to make it all work together as efficiently as possible, where people are the most happy with what they are doing. And of, and of course, that tends to lead to good growth and productivity mm -hmm. and success. Uh, and with Alex, uh, he he mentioned his computer science background at, at USC. Uh, he is really, really more of a, a tech entrepreneur. That's what he's done in a lot of his career. So he appreciates innovation. He likes technology. He thinks outside the box. And the best use of his time as the CEO is to be spending time on those things mm -hmm. and not literally on the day-to-day -day mechanics of the operations of the business. Mm -hmm. uh, so part of my job is to come in to Motor Supply and to take on a lot of those things, which I enjoy doing and I have a certain sort of skill set for and, I, uh, and to free him uh, to spend more time on what we uh, have nicknamed at this point our disruption department, which is a very informal uh, tag for just saying freeing Alex to work with others on different projects, uh, different products and services that will keep the company just a, sort of a clip ahead of everyone else. You know, this is, this is uh, we started this traditional tried and true trucking company, you know, very basic. And then very soon, remember we talked about getting on on that highway and highway speed and yeah. like, you really have to be fast in everything you do. So very fast we realized, we can't do this if we're not efficient. So how do you measure efficiency? We started measuring everything that we could and can we do this better? Can we do that better? And you know, when you start a business, ideally you have a recipe, like, you know, you're cooking something and you know, take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Well, it never happens in real life, you know, you start, you know, oh, okay, we need this system. Okay, let's do this. And then we need that system, but they they, they don't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And like, nobody tells you this, you know, get these six pieces of software and they will magically work together with a click of a button, everything works. Doesn't happen in real life, never. You learn one step at a time. So sure. at some point we realized, okay, now we have a person who just does some trivial task every day manually. Can we automate this, you know? And we started gluing these pieces together inside our company to just keep up with the pace of the rest of the market. I mean, remember, we are competing against 928,000 other for hire carriers. So we have to be at you know, first better at least uh, than half of them, than another half. And, you know, that's how you rise to the top. Then uh, another interesting thing happened, you know, uh, geeks, you know, the computer science people attract like-minded people. So uh, very soon we realized that the core of our dispatching group, their core passion is programming. They're coders, <laughs> you know, hackers uh, in a good way. You know, this is a Silicon Valley term, you know, for a good programmer, it's hacker. It's not, you know, the, sure. uh, the, the, the criminals or the underworld. Um, 
we realized that dispatchers, what do they do? You know, they have a shift and they look at the screen and they try to dispatch the trucks. They need to know who's where, you know, and they need to time everything and it's moving dots and they have to keep them busy by booking loads. And it's literally a lot of, you know, staring at the screen. So I've noticed they start using, you know, building little tools for themselves, you know, to make their work more efficient. And instead of like, you know, just doing that, they were doing something else while the script that they wrote did 80% of their work. I was like, show me how this works. So then we started dealing a little bit with that. And now, uh, you know, our third year of operation, we already designed uh, several of those, you know, unique pieces that glued our systems together, automated a bunch of things. And, you know, we run this business with uh, as few uh, people in the office as possible. The focus is on people in the field, more trucks, more drivers, you know, because that's how your business mm -hmm. runs in trucking. And uh, very soon we realized that this industry is uniquely positioned for uh, the next uh, big disruption because, you know, it's... Uh, when you say trucking to a regular person, you know, over dinner, they're like, oh, autonomous trucks, because, you know, the articles, right. this is the buzzword. Well, the reality is, remember the good old times when uh, in order to buy an airplane ticket, you had to call a guy, like an agent, and mm -hmm. have a conversation, and, you know, they will give you options and price. And that's how this industry works today. This is the reality of of it still being very rooted in the 20th century. And that is not very efficient. And we saw, you know, by just looking at everything from from the inside, very soon we realized, hey, uh, there is a lot of opportunities here, you know, and we can go and uh, disrupt the heck out of it. So hence the uh, uh, disruption department, more like a closet at this time, but you know, it's gonna grow. <laughs> it's contained, yeah, it's contained. Yeah. It's a little crude, but it's there. Well, it's interesting that, you know, you, you talk about, you know, how, how you start, you know, literally on Google, you know, how do you start? You, you, you hop in some trucks and gain some experience literally with your own eyes and your own mind and, and you're tracking um, on a spreadsheet and, you know, you, you focus on revenue, mm -hmm. which I, I think it's important that, that you that And you profitability. <laughs> and profitability. And, you know, you gain some momentum and then, you know, along comes, you know, fr from a network, you know, someone that can help bring, uh, and I'm going to use this word, and, and if it's the wrong word, word, then let's get the right one in there. But if, if that's growth and, and what you're bringing is structure, mm -hmm. you know, yes. and, and structure think, that doesn't impede growth, which is always the trick, right? With, yeah. With operations and logistics is mm -hmm. that you, you need structure uh, that, uh, doesn't make your company built on a house of cards, but also really it just creates what I think is more like vessels uh, that are super efficient and allow for the productivity mm -hmm. to, to shine through. Yeah. Uh, and that's when you're really, I think, really doing operations well. Mm -hmm. You see, Aaron, Aaron is very good at this. 80% of your time will probably, you'll be doing that, mm -hmm. you know, structure. But the rest 20, Aaron is the kind of person who can introduce you to three people and connect the dots and then your business grows uh, tenfold in the next two years because yeah. of those connections. There's a lot of people in the world smarter than me. That's that's the main reason <laughs> well, why I we think that, invited I, you. I think, that's a, <laughs> I think that's an important like distinction to, to make is that, you know, people think, well, I've got a great idea or I've got a great technology and I'm solving a problem that needs to be solved. In other words, there's a market. There, there's people that will pay money to have this problem solved or to, to have it be be better. 
and they tend to focus on that. But I think, you know, you see where a lot of times founders and, and entrepreneurs um, tend to be so absorbed in the company, in the product, mm-hmm. in the development, mm-hmm. that they're not literally leaving their office, wherever that may be. You, you have know. to get out and play. I mean, I had to go get my CDL. I started driving a truck and, oh my God, I can tell you so many stories. I mean, how things did not go right to begin with. And it's like, <laughs> it's like you know, we can have a separate episode of how you know, things can go wrong yeah, in trucking. Yeah. So one, one story. Six ways your air brakes can so, not work. Oh, when you want I mean, it gets, it, gets, <laughs> it gets way uh, funnier than that. Uh, one time we uh, booked this load, uh, you know, that paid uh, surprisingly well. And it was like, hmm, pays a double. I mean, what's the catch? So we try to find a catch. You know, they send us this one page contract with a bunch of fine print. And there's a one phrase there that says, the driver must take LAR. And we're like, what is LAR? Obviously Google doesn't give me anything again. Uh, then, you know, we called a couple of our most experienced drivers, you know, 30 years of experience, 20 years of experience. Do you know what LAR is? Like, the driver should take, and, you know, sometimes the shipper asks you to bring like a, like a load lock or like a strap to, or like a piece of a cardboard to like, you know, secure the cargo. Nobody knew what LAR was. And we were like, well, if nobody knows, probably not that important. So take this load. It's going from Sacramento, California to uh, somewhere in Ohio, cross-country run, pays great. And then in the middle of the night, the phone rings and the broker calls and says, what the hell is your driver doing in Utah? Like, what do you you mean? We picked up the load. We're delivering ahead of schedule. Everything's fine. They're like, you were supposed to take LAR. We're like, by the way, what is LAR? The low altitude route. <laughs> You're holding potato chips. They're going to explode in the mountains. <laughs> and they're expecting us to turn around, go back to California, down to, uh, you know, Southern California, across Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and then to Ohio. And that's why it paid more because it's more miles. Well, at that time, we already passed the highest point <laughs> and took our chances. That story ended well, but there's a, there's a whole book there at some point that, you know, of experience like this. So it's not all, it's not all, you know, we got it right on the first try. No, you learn. But uh, to this day, I use this question uh, interviewing uh, drivers that we hire and uh, nobody, nobody could ever answer that particular question because... You know, it's a very specific thing that's like, you know, there's surprises everywhere. It's a pretty interesting low altitude route, low altitude route. Now we know. Yes. (laughs) Uh, It's the first story I've heard ever heard about a potentially exploding a truck of potato chip bags. Yeah. Which would be tragic because potato chips need to need to go. People need those. Yes. I need them. Imagine us eating them for two years. <laughs> Is there a Colombia? in the truck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably would have gotten a little booth at Soda City Market. You know? <laughs> Open bag potato chips. <laughs> Pull the truck up. Open the back. <laughs> yeah. Bag your own. Bag your own chips. <laughs> Please help us clean out this truck. Well, so to to close out, and this is something that that you know we we like to talk with, especially people that are that are running businesses. So you you, you're you've started, you're you're growing, you're adding structure, Mm -hmm. um, and and it sounds like you know you're bringing people out of industries like coding and programming and combining them with the tried and true such as you know drivers and dispatchers and things like that and 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 you're you're with that novice approach you're seeing the areas that could benefit from disruption or, or doing it differently what's next I mean is it just more of the same and you know grow revenue and increase profitability or I mean what what is the the 
I wouldn't even say the plan, but what's the dream for Motor Supply? You know, uh, it really started without uh, an aspiration to change the world or anything. It was just a business, you know, but a serious one. You know, uh, I guess our combined experiences told us, you know, in order to be successful, this is how much uh, blood and sweat equity you need to bring mm -hmm. to the table. Uh, if uh, if you start a business, you need to realistically look at the horizon, you know, past the revenue three months. Okay, what if it doesn't happen? Can I survive for six months? You know, what's what's the play there? You know, what is my safety net? So you have to be realistic about that, you know. And um, today we see uh, the foundation of the company, the tried and true part of it, you know, as, as the money generating business with, uh, you know, we're profitable, we're growing in revenue, so that volume is going to go up. Problem with that approach is it's very linear. So one truck, one unit of revenue, one unit of profit. So you can only play mm -hmm. that game and then, you know, you start chasing your own tail. So you can grow to 50 trucks, 500, 5,000. Your risks go higher, your company grows bigger, your overhead costs, I mean, mm -hmm. also grow. In order to really uh, uh, be innovative and um, have an exponential growth. And uh, this is the lesson that uh, many, many years ago, a good friend and a mentor, uh, Ben Rex, told me, this is the difference between a linear business and an exponential business. He's like, I'm in a linear space. You know, you always need to think, how can I, uh, you know, go to space for every effort that you apply, you know, you get uh, four times the result, you know. Uh, that's that's the end game. And uh, our uh, uh, disrupt, Disruption department. Disruption closet department. <laughs> uh, you know, at some point we're going to open that closet, and right now we're using those tools internally, and we still learn, you know, how to make them even more efficient. But, you know, many people tried, and many big whales failed. Like uh, Uber Freight threw 200 million on the problem, and then you know they couldn't Uber the heck out of the industry just yet. Mm -hmm. um, we think we can do this on a much smaller budget, just by being the insiders. The reality is. The vast majority of the managers of transportation companies, especially huge companies, they have never driven a truck. We did. When are you getting your CDL? Tomorrow. <laughs> Immediately. Immediately, Just yes. another so differentiator of the company. Is one, we try to do everything differently, you know, every aspect of operation. Everyone at the office, from the recruiter to like uh, administrative, you know, people, uh, at a minimum should get a CDL and have some practice. Like, don't drive the truck, you know, full time, but, you know, spend a couple of weeks in the cabin. You will not understand how this works on the inside. The drivers will not take you seriously. You know, when we interview and they ask me a question, you know, something over the road, where I ask them, we speak the same language, you know. We had, we had one funny story when uh, a person without that experience uh, kept talking about, you know, go get gas. I was like, you don't talk gas to diesel people. Like, you know, they'll figure you out. You know nothing about this. You know, So you have to, you have to, uh, this really helped us to understand, you know, how the business works on the inside, you know, every aspect of it. And that opens a much broader horizon. You, you don't just see, um, you don't just see a spreadsheet. You see the operation behind it. And obviously, uh, the most obvious outcome is, you know, People can't fool you for something that happens on the ground. You know how the story goes there, you know. Uh, and you can, you know, sometimes give a great advice on how to find unconventional solutions because every day there's something, you know, law or not, you know, there is always a surprise there in the fine print somewhere or uh, most of the uh, situations that happen every day never happened before, which makes this very fun uh, mm. to deal with as well. Yeah. 
I hope I answered your question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just... It, that, that's the exciting part, right? right. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stories we've told that that have gotten to the, where we are and where we are together in this, you know, company and operation. We have sort of exciting histories in some capacities with things that we've done. Uh, but that's what's, to me, very exciting about uh, motor supply right now uh, is that there is a vision for something beyond just continuing a linear growth of a trucking company. Mm-hmm. And and it's in an, in an industry that is experiencing some, some disruption already, obviously, uh, but that we get to play in that sandbox with everyone else playing in that sandbox in the logistics supply chain industry is A uh, very is competitive sandbox, yeah. you know. <laughs> competitive sure. sandbox. A lot of elbow pushing. Sure. Yeah, well, with a team of really smart, great, capable people who are all bringing their A-game to the table and all willing to do what it takes, including getting CDLs, even if you're our administrative assistant, and being able to go on the road if you're needed, uh, is, uh, it just, it makes for, to me, uh, you know, it it makes for a very sort of vibrant uh, place to be that has a tremendous amount of potential. Well, it sounds fun uh, for what that's worth, but it also sounds like it's worth it. You know, it, it, it sounds like that, you know, it's, it's, what, it's what makes business work. And I think business at its best is when people see something that needs to be done because it needs to be done. You know, it's... Solving it's, a problem. Yeah. It's like, what problem can we solve? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. you do this every day, you know, small business, big business. Somebody has to make those decisions every day, very fast with, uh, you know, the information you have at hand. Nobody, nobody has time in this world, you know, to go and do a week-long research. You have to make this call today and, you know, pay for it tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so you have, I mean, if yeah. you enjoy this, I mean, and then this is, this is uh, in, you know, very fun for us to do because every day is a new challenge and, uh, and, uh, so far, we've managed all of them and uh, looking forward to more. And it's a quite an exciting gig, I would, I would say, you know, running something that uh, that you've never thought of actually touching before. Three years ago, four years ago, somebody told me anything about a trucking company. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't tell you why the 18-wheeler was, is called an 18-wheeler. I couldn't find the 18 wheels on the truck. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's step one. Step one. Yeah, that's 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 a very important start. But then, yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on on your attitude. I mean, yeah. if you have uh, if you have this uh, mindset for hey, uh, every day is uh, is a little game that you play, a problem solving game. How can we get better? Like literally, every day in the morning we uh, produce something called daily report. We look at our operation from the day before. The rest of the day we take the biggest problem and we're like, how do we fix it so it never happens again? What's the system? What's the code? What's the human protocol? What's the procedure? Who needs to get called? How do we how do we become efficient every day? And when you have this mindset, you can run any business. Like it can be, as I said, a tire shop, a pizza place, anything at all. If you do, if you bring something unconventional to the table, that makes a difference, and you will succeed in what you do. Well, thank you both for for or thank you for ending on that, and thank you both for sitting down and just telling the story and, and for being transparent about what it's like to get started and and what it's like to not have all the answers or even all the questions. You know, yeah. but you're willing to... Or the experience on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or yes. In, invite us back in a year and we'll be like, you know, that time we knew nothing. <laughs> <laughs> now we think we do. <laughs> well, it's a 100%. deal. 100%. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to do that. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs>